Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest and greatest lecture. And this title of the talk is Cardiac CT Study Optimization. And this will be a two-part uh, uh, vodcast. And this is a lecture I gave in part at the CT Society, April 2008. So it's, uh, I'm giving the talk online about 24 hours after I gave it in person. Um, at this session, which was a cardiac session, there were many things that were looked at, how to acquire data, the effect of contrast material, different types of scanners, all the usual topics. And my topic was on study optimization. And what I meant by study optimization here wasn't how we deliver IV contrast or how we give beta blockers and nitroglycerin, but really reflected how we read the images. So this talk is going to be how we do it, how we read cardiac CT. And whether you have a single source 64 or a dual source, whether you're using perspective gating or retrospective gating, when all is said and done, the success of any study after a good acquisition will be a great interpretation. There are many models. Some models, the radiologist does everything. Some models, technologist prepares some images and then the radiologist reads them. In some models, there's even non-radiologists like cardiologists reading. But I won't get into the uh, different models. I'll simply say that when you want to look at a cardiac CT data set, you're going to have to do it interactively. Preset images are just not going to do it. Now, when you think about cardiac CT as a five-step approach, really this post-processing of data, this data interpretation, is the final critical step. It's the step that makes you uh, give that clinician the 99% negative predictive value or the positive predictive value is in the low 90%. It's going to tell us how good you can do. So in saying that, what's the best technique? Well, there are many tools. We can look at axial images. We can look at multiplanar images. We can look at curved multiplanar. We can look at 3D imaging, whether it's with volume rendering or MIP. And we can look at 4D motion study. And our feeling is that if you you have to really use all of them. You don't necessarily always need to do 4D, but by using all of them, you'll always get the best answer. Sometimes the curved planar is the best. Sometimes volume rendering is the best. Sometimes the axials are as good as anything. But unless you use everything and you do it within a very tight workflow so that you do it exactly the same way every time, and you can do it very time efficiently, you're just not going to be successful. Now, if I step back and I said, okay, I told you all those rendering techniques, what's the best technique for looking at the coronary arteries? You look at the literature and recognize there's almost nothing written comparing things. There are no articles written volume rendering versus axial, axial versus curved planar, curved planar versus MIP, MIP versus sliding MIP. There are really no articles. The only article I know of in a reputable journal was this article by a Stefan Achenbach's group where they spoke about interactivity as being key. Now, Stefan, although he shows lots of 3Ds, really likes to focus on the axials and the MPRs. But when you look at what we're doing and what he's commenting on is interactive evaluation of the data set. And that's what we're saying. So we agree 100%. Interactivity indeed is critical and it's the preferred way of interpretation. And I'll show you why. Now, we spoke, of, or I spoke at this meeting previously about certain visualization parameters, the rendering technique used, the different type of displays that are necessary, the fact that interactivity helps overcome the variation in patient-to-patient -patient anatomy, not one size fits all. And with interactivity, you always have the best of all worlds. You have every possibility. So let's look at that in more detail. So our concept is going to be 
We have many choices and we're going to use them all. A comprehensive evaluation of the coronaries will include looking at the axials and coronals and looking at the 3D and looking at the, uh, uh, the um, curved planar reconstructions. You need to do everything. So now, what's the advantages of each of these techniques? Let's take a look. Let's start from the beginning and let's look at uh, axial display. Now, axials are great. Axials give me a number of things and I always look at the axials. It quickly gives me an idea of image quality and if you have a great quality study, you know it's going to be easy to read. It allows me to analyze each vessel from an axial perspective, which can be helpful. You can follow vessels downward. And in fact, most of the studies published in the literature actually used axials as their only technique. In terms of quality, here's just a good example where I can put density measurements to see that we're measuring nearly 400 in the aorta in terms of Hounsfield units, significantly better enhancement than in the right side of the heart. So it's just a perfect study, nice coronary opacification. We have a great study. You can look at this case. Axial images show you very nicely in the LAD calcified plaque and non-calcified plaque. Now you want to be careful in terms of determining the degree of stenosis because on a single axial image you can over or under call degree of stenosis. But there it is from the axials alone. You know this patient has plaque and your job is to figure out how much plaque there is and what kind of stenosis it has. Or in this case where we kind of use a thicker MPR. Um, where we put the axial plane and just make it a little bit of a thicker slab, you have very nice visualization of the patient's LED. You see the calcification, which appears to be eccentric. You see non-calcified plaque. Just a very nice visualization. So you make the slab a bit thicker. It works very nicely. And you can see, you can take that same image, put it in MIP, or eventually you put it in curved planar to show the calcification, its presence, that it's causing some narrowing but not occlusion. And again, it's this interactivity. Or in cases where there's aberrant vessels. Now, I'll show you a better way of looking at aberrant vessels, but axial images are pretty good. Here you can see the right coronary. Remember the first thing we do is look for the coronaries. Well, the right is coming way too far over. It's coming off the patient's uh, left cusp. It's going to be a uh, aberrant uh, right uh, coronary artery. Of course, you can see it right here. Again, when you want to look at images, you want to make sure you scroll through the images. You're able to scroll up and down so you get the best plane. Now, of course, we can make this into a blank. We can do all sorts of changes, but only looking at the axial alone does work well. Of course, you can go from the axial. What I like better is looking at things as interactively as a volume. And you can see in this 3D grayscale volume as we scroll through, you see where the patient's right coronary is. You see it's coming off the left cusp. And within the volume, I think it's much easier to do that. And you can see on the next set of images where, again, it's a 3D display, you're able to very nicely look. And again, I'm just simply tilting to show you very nicely the orientation of the patient's uh, uh, right coronary artery off the left cusp. And here you can see very nicely, here are two static images from those two videos we just looked at. Both of them chosen the right plane to show you the patient's uh, right coronary artery coming off the left cusp. And again, just a very nice visualization of that at the arrows. Now, another example, if you're looking at stents, now this patient, we're looking at the uh, aortic root, the aortic valve, look at the right coronary, you see a little bit of the left and we go a little further, we see a stent in the patient's right coronary. Is the stent patent? Well, you can do is look at that stent slice by slice, and you can pretty much get a good feel about patency. But 
The fact is, you'd want to be able to cut through the stent. Rather than looking at hundreds of slices, there's a better way of doing that. So one way, of course, is using multiplanar. Now, multiplanar, for certain applications, a simple coronal or sagittal work very well, or oblique for that matter. But for coronary vessels, I think it's one of those cases where curved planar reconstruction, you have a vessel that's squiggly and small, you need curved planar reconstruction. And surely with isotropic data, with thin sections, you're going to have a great data set in that regard. Uh, there's no doubt whether it's MPR or curved planar, isotropic data sets are ideal for MPR imaging. In terms of practice, many groups do use MPR routinely. They will slide through the data set, and interactive MPR is not uncommon. Uh, here's the display we use, which gives you a very nice visualization of the axial, bottom left, and uh, upper right. You see, a, you see a more of a straight-on AP view. Lower right is the 3D view, and upper left is a sagittal view. Again, you can see that vessel. You can see the stent in multiple planes. But you'd like to run your know, oblique right through the stent. The stent in this case is nicely patent. Now, the one thing to be careful about is when you're doing curved planars, you can do a series of them, but you have to make sure that you're not getting partial averaging, that you're going right through the center of the vessel. And that's where curved planar really works the best. Curved planar really allows you, with the computer's help, to be certain you're in the center portion of the vessel. And that's particularly important if you're looking at a stent you're able to take things and put them like a string and basically pull that string or pull that spaghetti and then rotate it around. You can localize the lesion, define its extent, and do that interactively. So if I go back to that coronary artery case, axial images, 3D, but look at curved planar reconstruction right through the center of the patient's stent. Beautiful visualization of that stent. The stent is patent. The patient's coronary artery, both pre and post stent, are very nicely seen. And that concept just works very well. And that concept, again, this mixing of 3D and curved planar, and you can see you go from one to the other. So in this case, looking at the right coronary artery, we're able just to segment that right coronary out, going between the right ventricle and right atrium. But very nice visualization. And curved planars work great across a range of applications. They work great in this patient who has uh, stenosis of the patient's coronary, of his LAD. You see the calcified plaque. You see the non-calcified plaque. You can use computers to generate specific measurements. We tend to measure it ourselves, gestalted. But there is more work being done to try to make the computers better choosing the point above and below the stenosis and then calculating the degree of stenosis. And now these systems, depending on your vendor, are much easier to use. In this case, you touch one point, all the vessels attract, you then isolate each vessel, picking its beginning and its end. And then in this case, looking at a very nice right coronary artery with some plaque proximally. And here's another the same patient, right coronary very nice soft plaque in the proximal portion of the vessel. So again, being able to do this routinely, being able to do it very quickly is important. And as the computer gets better and does automatic calculations of degree of stenosis, this indeed will be very helpful and also speed things up. Another example, look at this patient's LAD. You see the calcified and non-calcified plaque proximally. You see the distal vessel looks pretty good except for some minimal soft plaque. But again, that ability to visualize the vessel with the calcified plaque, with the non-calcified plaque, the ability to say this is about 50% stenosis based on vessel pre and proximal, the ability to simply uh, 
visualize that becomes very critical. And so if you go beyond that to a case with a stent in place and we're looking at this patient's stent, stent's in good position, there's good opacification, problems with stents typically are patient size or not a great injection. You also have to use a special kernel to make the images very sharp. On our semen scanner, it's a kernel 46F. But again, every scanner has its own kernel, so make sure you're aware of what kernel you should use to get these kind of images that really give you a feel of specifically what you're looking at and how you can optimize that. You can see here's just one more set of examples, and here's the case I showed you before with the aberrant uh, right coronary off the left cusp, and here I'm showing it to you again within a 3D display curved planar reconstruction. Just very nice visualization. Now, I've lectured before in volume rendering about some of the variations from vendor to vendor. I've also made the point about its variability in terms of how you can use it, that you can do it incredibly well or not quite as incredibly well. I mentioned the importance of the technique being a volume-based technique that you can look at every tissue type, and that will become very critical in looking at the heart from a global perspective. We can adjust lighting models. That's the only time lighting models work is with volume rendering. And so by changing some of the lighting, you can change the shading. And so for example, we look at this patient's LAD with multiple marginals. We can look at it many different ways and you can see the vessel is better or not as well seen or not as well understood depending on the rendering technique. So you want to make sure that you're doing the right reconstruction algorithm. Some of this is just uh, a little bit of luck and a little bit of trying to get things better, but you can see just beautiful visualization in that example. Now, in terms of practice, how do we use volume rendering? And for that, let's take a break and we'll come back in a few minutes and we'll start with that. Thanks very much. <laughs>